Uh, well, good morning. Happy July. Nice, hot. Welcome to our summer. So how do you process life when difficulty hits? Maybe you're the cool, calm, collected one. You're James Bond in the middle of a gunfight. The bullets are slow motion. You're just moving gently each way where you need to move. You see everything that's getting ready to happen. Or maybe you're the proverbial chicken with their head cut off. You're running around frantically just trying to find something to grab a hold of, unsure of what to do, kind of scared out of your mind, and just screaming your head off, so to speak. Well, I heard a story about a, uh, a guy who was flying, and his plane hit, some pretty, hit a pretty bad storm. So there, side note, no one dies. So if, if you're thinking, you're like, did he just laugh at a story about people dying? No, no one, nothing happens to people in this. Okay, now you can listen with and be content. So they're flying along. Windows up, all of a sudden you see these huge black clouds start to fill the sky that you're flying into. Rain starts hitting the plane, thunder, you see some lightning, and then all of a sudden there's a huge bang, and the lights go out in the cabin. It's a true story. Lights completely shut off in the middle of the cabin as they're flying along. 15 seconds go by. The lights come back on. Everybody's white knuckled, grabbing a hold of their armrest, silently praying, doing whatever they can to keep calm, looking around at each other nervously. And the pilot comes over the speaker and says, without much uh, empathy for the feelings of the people in the plane, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like we've been hit by lightning. All of a sudden, everybody in the plane goes crazy. There's yelling, there's crying, there's loud wailing and praying. People are crossing themselves all over the place. For some reason, people decide that the most important thing to do in that moment is to try and climb over their chair. <laughs> True story, they're climbing over their chair, trying to get to the row behind them because for some reason, the row right behind you, I guess, is the safest place to be, I don't know. So they're all, everybody's just going crazy. And then if that's not bad enough, the one thing you never want to see happen in the middle of a crisis on an airplane happens. The flight attendants in the middle of the aisle, in the middle of the plane, she falls down and passes out. <laughs> just done, done for the count. Can't handle this at all. When the flight attendant passes out, you have room to go crazy a little bit. I think that that reaches a whole nother level. Everybody was scared out of their mind. Now, like I said, everybody lived and they told the story, so it's all good. But when stuff hits the fan, we tend to fall apart. And part of that is because we're not really trained well in our culture to deal with difficulty. We're not trained to deal with chaos when it starts to hit our lives. We're just taught to avoid, and we're taught to avoid very, very well. One of our favorite shows is Parks and Recreation, and one of the best avoiders I think I've ever seen is a guy named Chris Traeger. He does not like giving bad news to anyone, so he hires somebody to do that for him. He's very good at this, and one of the 
in one of the episodes, he's at a particularly low point in his life. And so he says, if I keep my, bind, my, mind, my body moving and my mind occupied at all times, I can avoid falling into a bottomless pit of despair. And he says it just at that same speed too. Instead of dealing with difficulty, we're really trained how to avoid. You know, you have a difficult conversation coming up the next day at work or something coming with your family that you're, you're really not looking forward to. What do you do the night before? You play Fortnite or Halo all night long and avoid, avoid, avoid. Don't think about it. You know, you, you find out that your pay got cut or that you're losing your job. What does our culture tell you to do? Go to a restaurant. Spend money. Go shopping. Spend money like it doesn't matter that you won't have any tomorrow. Just avoid it for today. Or, you know, maybe you're going through a particularly hard period in life. There's lots of things that just keep adding up. What do you do in times like that? You know what you do? You go on Netflix and you see which one of your favorite shows has a new season. And then you start bench watching it so that you don't have to think about anything real for a whole week. Or if you're particularly desperate, it's really a bad thing. Well, good news. There's 10 seasons of Friends on Netflix. You don't have to have a real thought for a month and a half. It's beautiful. It's like America's dream right there. We never have to think about anything that matters. Just watch Friends and wonder, oh, what funny, quirky thing will happen to them at Central Perk today? That's what we're trained to do. Of course, as Christians, we've been given a different set of rules for how we're supposed to engage when hardships come, when difficulty strikes. The Bible gives us lots of tools for how to do this well. We just have to know what they are, right? Because church, being a part of the body of Christ, is not supposed to be a place of avoidance. It's not supposed to be a place where we can kind of push aside everything else. It's supposed to be a place of, of truth, of real honesty. Walter Brueggemann's an Old Testament theologian, and he wrote that church is not supposed to be the, the happiest place on earth. It's supposed to be the most honest place on earth. There's another pastor and author named Sung Chan Ra, and he wrote this. The Bible actually responds to real life. We jump so quickly to everything's going to be fine and awesome that we forget that the Bible actually allows us and in fact encourages and maybe even commands us to stay in places of suffering to speak the honest truth. The Bible encourages and commands us to sit in places of suffering. That's real, right? <laughs> and that's real opposite of what we've been taught to do. So this morning, as we continue our series from the Psalms, I wanna talk about this practice, one of the practices that we've been given in the Bible to be able to, to deal in healthy ways. And it's a practice called lament. Lament is, a, uh, is about speaking honestly to God in times of suffering and times of frustration, because healthy spirituality requires healthy lament. You know, much of the Christian life, I hate to break this to you, but much of the Christian life laid out in the Bible expects that we're going to suffer. The Bible's like really good about laying that part of it out, actually. God lays that out over and over and over again, telling us that this is going to happen. 
The Apostle Paul, in many books in the New Testament, tells us over and over again how to respond in times of suffering, what to expect when suffering hits. Jesus blesses and comforts those who mourn. He says that those who are persecuted for righteousness will inherit the kingdom. And he blesses us when we're insulted and wrongly accused. According to Jesus, all of those things are given. That's what we've been promised. We haven't been promised big houses, financial prosperity, and continuous health, at least on this side of heaven. But we have been promised that suffering will be a reality for us. That's a given for us. And so even if we're at a place in life where we don't personally right now need a language of lament, Jesus has promised that at some point in your life you will. This will become something that you need because in order to be healthy spiritually, we have to have healthy outlets to complain, to deal with anger, frustration, bitterness. We have to learn how to do that in healthy ways because healthy lament leads to healthy spirituality. So will you pray with me? Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come uh, and then we'll continue on. Jesus, we just thank you for your, your spirit that's here, Lord. We thank you for a, a good week of VBS. Thank you for what you did in the lives of our kids. Uh, and I just pray that even today that uh, over in Kids Zone, that there will be real fruit coming from that, that they'll be able to see the ways that you've been working in their hearts this week. Pray that this morning that you will teach us, help us to learn how to not be just avoiders, but help us to learn how to engage in times of suffering, how to sit with others who need uh, us to come and sit alongside of them in the midst of their pain. Give us grace in this, in Jesus' name, amen. So there's two types of lament in the Bible. There's personal, and then there's communal lament. Kind of prophetic lament is another type for it. Now, it may not seem like this because we don't talk about lament very much in church, but the most common type of psalm or song in the Bible is lament. Over one-third of all of the songs written in the Bible are laments. One-third. Now, we don't usually spend one-third of our songs on lament uh, or one-third of our, our time crying out to God on lament. But the biblical kind of precedent that's laid out there for us is that this is pretty normal. This is a healthy part of how we engage with God. In recent history of the church, though, we've just had this tendency to kind of avoid it because it feels a little uncomfortable because we, you know, the laments, if you ever read them, they, they talk about stuff that you're like, I'm not so sure I'm comfortable reading this out loud, you know, like beheading your enemy and killing people and, and whatnot, you know, feels a little weird to us. We're not quite sure how to frame that. That's fair. I get that. Uh, the language is rough. It's full of anger. Like, it's real. It's real. It's real, real. And so we kind of tend to skip a little bit to the more comfortable stuff. But we need laments because we need to be able to learn how to process all, underline all of our feelings with God. Not just the happy and the cheery ones, not just the grateful ones, but all of our feelings with God can be processed with him. And so we need to find healthy ways to be able to do this. Laments give us language and structure for being able to engage 
with this reality in our life, with our complaining. I'm going to teach you how to complain in a good way. Does anybody feel happy about Like, yes, I can finally complain about time. Any natural complainers? Here you go. (laughs) How do we deal with frustration? How do we deal with anger? How do we deal with bitterness when that's just really where we're at? Without trying to pretend like that's not where we're at. How do we deal with it in those places? So this morning I want to talk about the flow of lament because I think it's good to have tools for processing. And then I want to talk about prophetic laments. I want to talk about sitting with other people in their times of suffering, crying out for justice for others. And then I want to pray that. And the prayer may be the most uncomfortable part of the morning for you, but I think it's good for us to pray a lament as a church, crying out to God for justice in our world. So let's start with Psalm 4. If you have a Bible, open up to that. There's Bibles on the side and in the back. Feel free to grab at any time. Psalm 4. Here's what it says. Answer me when I call to you, O God who declares me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lies? You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Many people say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile on us, Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. In peace, I will lie down and sleep for you alone or Lord will keep me safe. Before I go any further, there's some like we've translated this pretty nicely. Um, But when somebody says many people will say who will show us better times, that's basically saying the times that I'm in are not better than other people. And other people look at me and think, man, who's going to do better than what that guy's in the middle of? And when he says, you've given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine, you know what that means? He's not one of those. He hasn't had an abundant harvest. He doesn't have a lot of new wine. He's struggling. And yet in the middle of that, he's saying, well, God, you've given me joy even when I'm poor, even when I'm struggling to provide food for me and my family. Even in those moments, you've given me joy. We like to, we like to cover it up a little bit with some nicer language, but that's, that's what's going on here. He's, he's complaining. He's being honest about what life looks like for him. So let's look over the flow. If you have your insert, if you flip it over to the back, uh, you'll see the flow of a lament on there. Uh, Create practices that lead to health. Use this. Let this be kind of a natural, healthy thing for you. The first part of a lament is the address. It's kind of the cry to God. It's it's saying, uh, answer me when I call. God who declares me innocent, free me, have mercy on me. Identify God as the person that you're calling to. Look him in the eye. You know, the hardest thing when you're having conflict with somebody is looking them in the eye the entire time that you're talking to them. It's maintaining eye contact and saying, we're going to get through this, you and I. Look God in the eye. 
Say you, that's who I'm talking to right now. Address him clearly. Look him in the eye, call him out, say, God, this, you're who I want to be in this moment. You're who I need to be here right now. Call him out, cry out to him, be clear about what's going on. Ask him to come and to be here with you as you're crying out to him. Address him, don't hold back from that. Don't casually be like, God, maybe you'll do something. Say, God, I need you to move, call him out. Next, it flows into the complaint, kind of the the juicy part of a lament. And it's important in this to really clearly state what it is that you're lamenting, what it is that you're complaining about. Use details. Be as specific as you can with what your frustration is, where your anger lies, where you're struggling with bitterness. Call it out line by line. Detail it out. Talk about your pain. Show God how desperate your situation is. This is what's shown to us in the Psalms. Time and time again, this is what they do. They're specific about it. How long will my reputation be ruined? How long will I be accused? How long will the lies continue? Call it out clearly what's going on. And then that moves straight into one of the most powerful parts of lament. And that's the fact that when you're lamenting, declare your trust in God. You know, in order to have good conflict resolution with someone, you know what you need? To have good, not just, you know, I'm going to tell you what I think about you, but to have conflict resolution, you know what you need? You need to trust that the other person wants to resolve it too. There needs to be confidence that you're both working towards something together, that you're moving towards the same goal. And we have that same confidence when we're lamenting before God. We're saying, God, I trust that you want this to move in the same direction that I want it to move in, that we have the same goal here, that we're working towards the same thing, that we both want your justice, that we both want you to be in the midst of our suffering, of our pain, of what's going on. And so in that, I place my trust in in you and you alone. Ask God to intervene and cry out for justice. One of my favorite parts about lament is the fact that they are filled with justice. It's a cry in the middle of injustice for God to show up, for God to act, for him to be the righteous judge. The Lord will answer when I call him. The Lord will set apart the godly. Trust in the Lord. Let, the fa- let your face smile on us, Lord. And the last thing is that laments always end with praise and expectancy. We come before God, we look him in the eye, we detail out what's going on, we don't hold back, we're honest. We know that we believe that he wants to be there with us, that he wants to work towards the same thing. And so because of that, we're able to keep moving forward. Laments don't let us stay in the middle of the muck. Laments don't let us continually keep just circling around in the mud. Laments push us towards God. It pushes us forward. It keeps us moving towards him. Laments give us space to say, even in this, because you are here with me, I have faith that you're going to act. And I thank you for that. I praise you for acting in my situation. You have given me greater joy. I'll lie down and sleep in peace. You keep me safe, Lord. 
Lamenting is honest, it's rough around the edges, it's full of complaining and frustration and anger, it's filled with pain, it's clear, and yet it's also filled with trust. It's filled with hope. It's filled with the knowledge that God is going to come and to act in your situation, that God wants to come and be with you in the middle of your situation. It's not a cry that says, okay, I'm tossing it out and then stepping away. It's a cry that says, I'm tossing it out and then I'm going to keep moving towards you because you have promised to be here in the middle of this with me. Characters made in times of lament. Depth of soul is made in times of lament. And the beauty of lament is that it says, I will not look away. I will remind myself that there is more to life than pain, and I will accept joy. That was written by a guy named Nicholas Walterstorff. And he wrote this book called Lament for a Son after his son had died suddenly in a climbing accident. His son was like 20 years old. And he just started journaling his thoughts, just where he was at with God, his, his prayers to God, what was going through his mind, just started journaling it out. And in the middle of it, this came out. He said, in the middle of my grief, in the middle of my pain, I'm not going to look away. I'm not going to avoid I'm going to keep looking you straight in the eye, and I'm going to expect that you're here with me in this space. I'm going to expect that you're going to give me your joy in the midst of this pain that I'm dealing with. I keep my eyes set on you in the middle of the pain and the heartbreak, the grief that I know all too well. Instead of avoiding, lament allows us to directly engage God to keep moving towards him rather than moving away from him and away from everybody else is what ends up happening too. It gives us grace to keep moving. And that awareness that Walter Storff mentions here of looking it dead in the eye, I think really leads us into this idea of communal or prophetic lament. Prophetic lament is simply a, a cry for justice in the life of others. It's an acknowledgement that there is loss, that there is pain, that there is injustice in our world in very specific ways, and we're not okay with it. And that we're standing with people who are dealing with all of it, that we're standing beside them. It's focused on the justice of God. And it pushes us towards an even healthier spirituality than we would have known if we had just kept our eyes focused on ourselves. Read Lamentations 1, 11, and 12 with me. It says, Her people groan as they search for bread. They've sold their treasures for food to stay alive. O oh Lord, look, she mourns, and see how I am despised. Does it mean nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see if there is any suffering like mine, which the Lord brought on me when he erupted in his fierce anger getting a little rougher with the language, right? Things that we might not feel comfortable saying to God all the time. Like when you erupted on me with your anger. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. And in, that, in this book, he, he for five chapters, five chapters, just writes page after page after page of cries for God to come and not forget Israel, he doesn't take away their sin. 
He doesn't say, you know, we didn't do anything wrong. He says, we know what we've done wrong, but still look at us right now. Look at our pain. Look at our, what we're doing, where we're at right now. He says, pay attention to us. Everybody else has stopped paying attention to us. Everybody else has ignored us. Everybody else is spitting at us. Everybody else is turning away from us. They're crossing to the other side of the street when they come by us. Everybody else is taking the long way around the river to uh, avoid stepping a foot into Israel. But you need to pay attention to us. He said, you know, we, we're starving here. We don't even have food. We're having to sell everything we own for pennies on the dollar just to be able to feed our families. Is there nothing left for us? Can you do nothing for us, God? He cries out. He doesn't worry about giving a theological explanation for suffering and why it happens and what they did wrong. He, he doesn't offer programs for how they can get out of the place that they're at although that can be our initial reaction. Instead, he teaches us to see how our Father comes in the midst of our suffering and sits. He comes and sits with us in the midst of the ashes, in the midst of our brokenness. He gets on his knees and he's with us there in that space. Prophetic lament is a cry that says it's not just about me. It's about people all throughout the world, throughout the U.S., throughout Massachusetts, throughout our towns, throughout our church, throughout our families who are suffering. And it's a cry that says, don't forget them. Be with them in the midst of that reality. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Paul writes that if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We're encouraged, led, and called to suffer with each other, to mourn with each other, not to avoid them. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Be in agony with those who are in agony. One of Jesus' most frustrated moments with the disciples was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said he was in agony, and his friends wouldn't even stay awake one hour. They couldn't even bother themselves to get on their knees with him for one hour. He says, come on, you don't have, even have that for me? You don't have anything that you can give to me in this place that I'm in? Prophetic lament pushes us towards that. It pushes us to engage with those who are suffering, not hopelessly, but with hope in the justice that God will bring, with hope in the resolution that we know is coming, that there's a day coming where all will be made right once again. It helps us to keep our eyes on that while we're getting on, getting on our knees in the dirt with everybody who's struggling. As we encounter people who are suffering, who are in pain, who are mourning, as followers of Jesus, our first response should not be to fix them. Our first response should not be to offer them answers, although that could be a very good second or third response if the Holy Spirit's leading you to that. That should not be our first response. Our first response should be a willingness to lament with them, a willingness to get on our knees, to cry out to God for justice, for comfort, for peace in the middle of their situations, a willingness to say that your pain is my pain, to take that on with them cry out for justice, cry out for God to come and to act. 
Personal lament is an investment in your personal spiritual health. And prophetic lament is an investment in the spiritual health of the big C church, and I would say in the world. It's a lament that says that I'm not just worried as a Christian about what happens to other people who are Christians or to other people that I know and love. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I am broken when I see the suffering in every person throughout the world. Because I know Jesus is broken when he sees the suffering, the pain of every person throughout the world. It's learning to have a heart that truly mirrors, that matches Jesus' own heart. It's an investment in those around us who are suffering and in pain and need to know the love of Jesus. Well, I want to pray a lament as we end. So Sam, if you want to dim the lights and the worship team wants to come back up, I would just ask that you hold off going to the restroom uh, or getting a drink until after we're done. Let's kind of let this be a sacred space for the next couple of minutes. Because I don't think that we lament very often. We don't cry out for justice. We don't cry out for God to be in the midst of our suffering, the suffering in our world very often. So let's just take a little bit to do that. You know, lament is our prayer to Jesus for new life in our world. So let's bring that up to him. So however you want to, if you want to sit, stand, open your hands, kneel, whatever feels good to you, just pray with me. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come to bring a real sense of your presence as we cry out to you. And Jesus, we do cry out to you for justice. We cry out to you for your kingdom to break into our world. Father, we start off by just lamenting the loss of all life. Life's lost to old age. Life's lost way too soon. Life's lost in the womb and life's taken in the womb. All lives lost on the streets, men, women, and children, and senseless acts of death, both the innocent and the guilty. We lament the lives lost in the shootings that are going on across our country. We lament lives lost in war. And because our allegiance is first to you, more than anything else, we lament lives lost on both sides of the battlefield. Life's lost due to suicide. You did not create life so that it could be taken away, Jesus. Death is not your creation. It's not the ending that you long for. We just place our trust in that truth this morning. Father, we lament the abuse that we see and that some of us have known so personally. Physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional and verbal abuse, abuse done to our children, abuse done to us and to those that we love, abuse done by those in power, and Father, most pointedly, we lament the abuse done by those in the church. You bring healing and new life to the broken. So Jesus, we ask for your mercy. And Father, we lament injustice. Injustice is done in our faulty system of justice. Injustice against the poor. Injustice against the marginalized. Injustice done to people of color throughout the history of our country. We cry out to you, our just and righteous judge, 
to come and bring justice to our world. Come, Jesus. Father, we lament with those that we love. And as Jesus taught us, we lament with our enemies as well. We lament because all around us we see pain, we see brokenness, we see injustice, we see loss. We lament because we know that in our world that we're not promised much, but we are promised sorrow. We've felt it, we've known grief, we've known bitterness, we've known anger. We're frustrated because so often it feels like you aren't doing what you need to do. You're not acting when we need you and when others need you to act. We and those throughout the world need you, Jesus, to move. We need you to come and to act in our world. Yet, Father, we lament because we have faith We have confidence that you are with us in our suffering. We know that one day, Jesus, that you'll return and that you'll take away all our suffering, all tears wiped away, all wrongs made right, all brokenness healed. And to that day, we look ahead with confidence. But until that day, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we lament. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for space to cry out. I pray that you'll let us know the the depth of your love in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our frustration, in the midst of our anger this morning. That doesn't push you away. Instead, it, it oftentimes even draws you closer. Let us be honest as we come before you today. We say thank you, Jesus.